Before we start, there's a small matter of the five-star competition winner. All the names were entered into a random number generator, and the results are in. The winner is... Witch House, from the USA, with this five-star review. Comedy in the Occult. I can't stop listening to this podcast. It is the perfect blend of comedic charm and supernatural storytelling. I'm obsessed. Keith has a great sense of humour and a knack for finding oddly satisfying source material mixed in with live interviews and fun vintage audio clips. Do not miss the episode on the Highgate Vampire. Instant classic! Well, thank you so much for that and congratulations. All you need to do is send your address to I don't know pod at Outlook.com or message me on Facebook or Instagram and you'll soon have your beautiful prize. Don't worry if you missed out this time. There will be more competitions with great prizes in the future. Now, let's do this. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of I Don't Know the Podcast, The Enfield Poltergeist. In 1977, in a small house in Enfield, London, some strange things were going on. Moving furniture, knocking on walls, children flying through the air. For 18 months, 30 people testified to weird and scary occurrences. Was this a poltergeist? Or was it some kids fucking about? I don't know. So listen on to find out what else I don't know about the Enfield poltergeist. August 1977, the same month the US Senate hearings on MKUltra are held. The same month David Berkowitz, or Son of Sam, is captured. The same month Elvis Presley dies at Graceland. On the face of it, these events seem completely unrelated. But are they? I don't know. And that's not this week's subject anyway. Because this is specifically London, August 31st, 1977. The day of the first reports of poltergeist activity at 284 Green Street, Enfield. According to Wikipedia, nothing else happened on that day. Anywhere. It's not even the birthday of someone cool or famous. In fact, every other day in August 1977 had something awesome happen. But not the day I was looking up. No. But anyway, on with the story. Actually, the only interesting thing I could find out about Enfield was it's the location of the world's first ATM. 
I am, of course, referring to the money machine and not the pornographic term. So, Enfield, August 31st, 1977. that family for 18 months. Many objects materialize out of thin air. And yet this voice used to speak up to three hours at a time, not continuously of course, but up to three hours at a time. address was 284 Green Street, Enfield. A simple council house. The family living there was 47-year-old divorcee Peggy Hodgson and her children Margaret 13, Janet 12, John 11 and Billy 7. On August 31, 1977, a frightened Peggy Hodgson called the police. In that call she reported moving furniture and two of her four kids were hearing knocking sounds on the walls. WPC Heaps testified to the investigation as follows. It um, came off the floor, or nearly a half inch, I should say, and I saw it slide off to the right, about three and a half to four feet before it came to rest. Um, I checked to see whether or not it could possibly have slid along the floor. I placed a marble on the floor to see whether or not the marble would um, go in the same direction as the chair did, and it didn't, it didn't roll at all. Um, I checked for wires under the cushion of the chair, and I could find no explanation at all. It's a little-known fact that police officers in the UK have to ha carry a marble with them at all times. Once the police have finished their extensive investigation, where else can you turn? The tabloid press? Well, that's exactly what Janet did. She contacted the Daily Mirror. I used to work for the, uh, for the Daily Mirror as a general news photographer. I was there on duty one, one evening working from, I think, 7pm till 2am. The news desk phone kept ringing with this man up in Enfield called Vic Nottingham about some funny goings-on in the house next door. I think the crunch came when, when the person on the phone uh, the other end said, um, oh, well, we've all seen this, including the, the police. We uh, drove up there in my car, the office car, parked outside, went in to the Nottingham's house. When we arrived, um, the mother was horrified. Basically, she was, she was scared. She couldn't articulate anything. She, she, she was just in pieces, frightened and not able to be a mother to her two girls who actually needed cuddling, but she was incapable of it. 
We were in the house waiting for whatever, you know, to, to occur when the, when the family came in. Um, set up, cameras ready. Um, we had no idea what to expect. Nothing happened. We had a cup of tea, I think, and made nice cluck-cluck pleasant noises and, uh, and left. And I recall that uh, Graham was putting his gear in the back of the car. I was just about to climb in and Vic ran out of the house. But it had started again. And we went back in and that's when the first incident took place. Then <coughs> just, well, just things started flying around the room. Every eye was just chaos of people started screaming. And I just put myself back in this corner with a wide-angle lens and just just kept taking pictures. I had no idea what, what was happening. I couldn't see where they came from, but they certainly didn't come from the, the hands of the, th the three children who were present or, or Mrs Hodgson. You know, they came from you know, bouncing off walls. I mean, there is no question that that, that happened. And Graham was actually hit with one. I got hit in the, um, in the eyebrow, just in the forehead, with, with a, like a Lego brick. Since not even tabloid journalists were able to explain these strange goings-on, where else could the terrified Peggy turn? The Society for Psychical Research, or SPR. And quickly on the scene was Morris Gross. I'm Morris Gross, and I'm one of Britain's leading psychic investigators. I'm 76 now, and still on the trail of ghosts and poltergeists. In 1977, I led a team which investigated what is now regarded as the world's most famous poltergeist case, the Enfield Poltergeist. I have to say, Morris has quite a spectacular moustache, and the activity in that house soon had that moustache twitching. People were even witnessing strange phenomenon outside the house. While on duty, a local lollipop lady gave this account of what she saw. Uh, for listeners not in the UK, a lollipop lady is a crossing guard. I saw Janet lying flat and she was floating. She was going up and down in front of the bedroom window. I came home and I kept thinking about it and I thought to myself, well, maybe she was doing it herself. I don't know. So I came straight in, took my coat off, my hat, went straight upstairs to my own bed, laid on my own bed, and tried to lift myself up horizontally. You couldn't do it. She was just there. She was just there in front of the window. I could see it now as plain as day. There's moving furniture, kids being thrown around, and strange banging sounds coming from the walls. And it's all been witnessed by cops, journalists, lollipop ladies. But suddenly, something far more sinister started happening. It became world headlines at the time, mainly because of the strange, gruff voice that came from a girl called Janet. Did you hear that? That's even scarier than a North London accent. As things got scarier, another investigator joined the SPR. Guy Lyon Playfair, one of the most British names ever. 
I had the experience of a very long and lively poltergeist case in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and um, wasn't really hoping to do any more. We happened to have a lecture at the Society for Psychical Research, which I was a member of, on the subject of poltergeists, as it happened, and I was sitting right next to uh, another new member called Maurice Gross, whom I hardly knew except to say hello to. And at the end of the lecture, Maurice jumped up and said, I'm investigating a very interesting case right now, and I need some help. And there was a resounding silence. So I turned around and said, don't mind uh, helping out for a couple of days or a week, maybe. And uh, that ended up 14 months. Guy had been studying poltergeist for some time and really knew his shit. They always come in the same order, which is interesting. It's as if the poltergeist was reading from a script. You know, you start with knocking, rapping on the walls and then you get small objects being thrown and then you get larger objects being thrown and then you get tables and chairs turning over sometimes completely Guy and Maurice were true believers Guy had previously written books about Brazilian psychics and Maurice had become a member of the SPR after experiencing strange events himself they brought in scientists, psychologists, in fact anyone they could think of to investigate here's more of Janet's scary voice. Let me hear you say my name. Come on, let me hear you say my name. That's not my name. That's not a dog, that's Janet. Come on, my name's Morris, let me hear you say it. And around about the same time, there was a dog on British TV show That's Life who could also talk. What you have on a Thursday, Prince? Yeah, what's your skippy, Prince? <laughs> what? For me, the similarity is uncanny. Say Dr. Bellock. Come on, let me hear you say that. Come on, let's hear you say Dr. Bellock. Say, say Dr. Bellock. What is it? Now, if you squeak the bed, I can't hear you talking. Now, say Dr. Bellock. Come on. Come on, say it for me, Dr. Bellock. Dr. Bellock. Jesus. This is a demonically possessed child, not a performing monkey. So, the poltergeist used to live here? I want you to tell me whether you remember what happened to you when you died. 
just before you died and just after you died. interesting thing. A previous resident of the house on Green Street did die in exactly that way and it was confirmed by his son. Did any friends go with you? Yes, all of them. All the dogs. 68 dogs. And what do you got 68 dogs for? So that they can protect me from you killing me. They can bite you right off. How can we kill you, Bill? You could shoot me off. Now how do we how can we shoot you if we can't see you, Bill? What man to God? Sorry, I didn't hear that, Bill. What man to God? By praying to God. So you can get rid of Bill just by praying to God. Instead of getting this whole thing wrapped up with a little prayer, Guy and Morris decided to keep investigating. These voices that were coming out of Janet were studied by many people. It was said, particularly by Guy Playfair, that nobody could talk like that for more than a minute without seriously damaging their voice. Others said Janet had a false larynx. They even brought in one of the greatest ventriloquists of all time to take a look at it. Ray Allen was famous in the UK for his hilarious act, Ray Allen and Lord Charles. Now, while I appreciate that a podcast is probably not the best medium to showcase ventriloquism, I'll give you a quick taste of what his act was all about. Thank you. Thank you very much and good evening. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Lovelies will be here on this occasion. And because... You've been drinking? So have I. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm not in a very good mood. Why? Well, the, the car park attendant chap, he upset me. Why'd you do that? I don't know. I pulled up in the car. He said, you can't put that there. I said, don't get excited, car park attendant chap. I'll put it over here. He said, you can't put it there either. I said, well, Janet, where can I put it? He's a vulgar fellow, that car park attendant. <laughs> it was the 70s. Entertainment was different back then. Publicity about the Enfield haunting had reached fever pitch. It was in all the tabloid newspapers, they were on TV, and the news spread across the Atlantic and landed on the porch swing of Ed and Lorraine Warren. You may remember them from episode 8 where they convinced poor Bill Ramsey that he was a werewolf and needed an exorcism. Ed and Lorraine attempted to inject themselves into the story and claimed to have investigated the case extensively. But not everyone agreed with their version of events. Um, Mr. Playfair, I'm sure you're familiar with Ed and Lorraine Warren and, and their research and, and work. Have they ever worked along with the Society for Cyclical Research? No. Uh, um, I bumped into Ed Warren once or twice, um, and Lorraine, 
and um, <clears throat> I got the impression that Ed Warren was, um, well, <laughs> filling your own expletive. I, I, I wasn't impressed at all. Uh, Lorraine is, is, is still living, so I'm referring from commenting on her, but she, she, she was very um, quite pleasant when I met her. Um, they, they did turn up once, I think, at Enfield, and all I can remember is Ed Warren telling me that he could make, make a lot of money for me out of it. So I thought, well, that's all I need to know from you, and I got myself out of his way as soon as I could. Uh, I'm afraid I was not impressed, and, and he didn't spend... Um, I don't think he went there more than once, and um, I did read somewhere a transcript of a lengthy interview which he's alleged to have had with one of the girls, which they couldn't remember giving him, and um, it was describing all sorts of marvelous wonders, which, which I don't think ever happened. I, I think he was complete... Um, well, <laughs> fill in whatever word. Under, understand. Okay, so you don't feel that, uh, and especially in the interactions you had with them, you don't feel that maybe they had the best intentions when it came to the investigations of these cases? No, they just wanted to make money out of it. Okay. Did uh, Have you heard, or in your research, have you come across any proof that Ed or Lorraine Warren had anything to do with uh, consulting or being a part of this investigation? Certainly not. Nobody ever mentioned him. I mean, I, mean, I don't think any, anybody in the family had ever heard of him until he turned up uninvited. And, oh, so uh, he, he just came out? Who he was, and um, he didn't come again, and then we just sort of forgot about him. So he came, he came out to the uh, site uninvited, and just uh, show, showed up to try to insert himself into the story, is, is what you maintain? That's what I remember, yes. Okay, um, fascinating. It, it was quite brief. I mean, it was just one. We had so many people coming and going. I mean, I remember one, one day he, d he did turn up. I think Lorraine was there as well. I'd also met them in Brazil. They sort of pop up all over the place. And um, it was just no... no, no, no uh, no big deal at all. I mean, I had a brief conversation with Ed at Enfield, and um, as I say, he was telling me how much money uh, he'd help me make, and I politely declined his help. And while the investigators and believers were arguing amongst themselves, there were others who were sceptical of the claims, and not just 70s ventriloquists. Academic Anita Gregory entered into a lengthy correspondent with Morris, she called the evidence questionable, greatly exaggerated, and even pathetic. She said that when she visited the house, the girls insisted she face away from her and cover her eyes. The girls then threw slippers and pillows at her. Another researcher secretly filmed Janet bending a spoon. When this was put to Morris Gross, he just said, Of course they played tricks. They're children and a number of experts in sleight of hand and magic felt that flying objects and moving furniture had been faked. Guy Playfair poo-pooed all this scepticism, but remember one thing about Guy Playfair. He was a true believer and a staunch supporter of Yuri Geller. He even wrote a book called The Geller Effect, which received mostly poor reviews. Morris continued to give interviews, and was even duped for this one, 
on the Ali G Show. What is ectoplasm? <coughs> well, ectoplasm is the so-called uh, issue of a material from a physical medium. Once me was asleep and me dreamt that me was born in Mariah Carey and, you know, I was actually quite good without showing off or anything. And then when I woke up in the morning, there was ectoplasm <laughs> in the bit. Was that because Mariah Carey was actually there? that question I really can't I mean if you say that ectoplasm exuded from you hi for real for real there was something there that weren't there when I went to sleep <laughs> I don't know how will I ever know you won't <laughs> too late it's too late to know that I just kept I just kept the, my Ilfiger pants mm. well can I bring them in to be examined if you brought it into examine, what would we actually be examining? The, the ectoplasm. Is on the pa on on the on the pants themselves. Aye. Okay, I think I think I could probably get that analysed for you. All right, thank you very much. Hmm. Uh, and what does it look like? <laughs> I mean, it's been years, because it was kind of. Um, it was. Like, not quite solid, but it was there, and there weren't that much of it. How much was there? About... In I don't know, about that, that much. You didn't have your pants on at the time. I did. Are you sure it wasn't? Semen. No, I listen. Uh, no, I, I ain't done. No, I ain't done. Listen, I ain't done that for about two years. Thank you very much. You're more than welcome. You're Big up welcome. yourself. Booyakasha. Episode, Episode ten. ten. The Enfield Poltergeist. The Epilogue. So, what have we learnt this week? We learned that. Even lollipop ladies can't replicate paranormal. I tried to lift myself up horizontally. You can do it. We learnt how this could have ended much sooner. Now how, do we, how can we shoot you if we can't see you, Bill? What? Thank you, God. Sorry, I didn't hear that, Bill. Thank you, God. By praying to God. And we learnt that even dogs might be possessed. Tell us what you have on a Thursday, Prince. Yeah, what's your skippy, Prince? Yeah. What? Yeah. A lot of people made a name for themselves from this. Guy Playfair wrote a book about it called This House is Haunted. Morris Gross continued to give interviews for many TV shows in the remaining decades. The Warrens seemed to make the most money from it, with the movie The Conjuring 2 despite their reported lack of involvement in the case. The house at 284 Grain Street has been occupied since. One family claimed to have uneasy feelings at times, but nothing more. Many people, even members of the Society for Psychical Research, believe Guy Morris's investigation was flawed and that they were even extremely gullible. I guess 
The only people who know the truth about the Enfield poltergeist are Janet and Margaret. And so far, they're sticking to their story. If you enjoy this podcast, then share it with your friends and let me know. Join the Facebook group and the Instagram, and you can email me at idontknowpod at outlook.com. Special thanks to our logo creator, Raymond Roel of Project Raven Creative. See all his links in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and come back next week to find out what I don't know. Good morning, Mr. Jones. We've been waiting.